Are our dreams significant? Do they have predictive value? Should we pay heed to their warnings? The Gemara seems to offer contradictory teachings on this subject, which will lead us toward two classic approaches to this important matter. We're going to begin tonight by talking about three rabbis that lived in the end of the 1300s and the beginning of the 1400s. And uh, each one of them had a common, has a common denominator with the other in the sense that their life stories are similar, took a similar path. All three of these rabbis were born in Spain, and all three of these rabbis ended up in Algeria, in North Africa. Why did they leave Spain and go to Algeria? That's because in 1391 was a terrible year for the Jewish community in Spain. And as we're going to see, it's going to play a little bit of a role in the discussion that we're going to have tonight. What happened in the year 1391? Uh, the more modern word that was developed in later days was the word pogrom. But at least anachronistically, we could use that word for what happened in 1391. In many communities across Spain, there were riots, there were um, uh, killings of Jews. Many were forced to convert uh, to Christianity. And this really began the decline of, uh, of Spanish Jewry. A lot of times people think about the year 1492 and the expulsion that happened that year from Portugal a few years later. But um, this year, 1391, 100 years earlier, was really a terrible year for the Jewish people. A lot of prominent people were killed. A lot of people were forced to flee. And that's why these three rabbis left Spain and went to North Africa. First up that we're going to be mentioning is Rabbi Amram Efrasi. Rabbi Amram Efrasi is known rabbi from that generation. He did not write any Sfarim, but he corresponded with some of the great sages of that day, and therefore his name appears in numerous Sfarim. And he, sent a, he lived in Oran, which is a city in Algeria, and he sent a question to another prominent Rav who had a similar biography, who's known as Reb Shimon ben Samach Duran. Reb Shimon ben Samach Duran is one of the more famous Rishonim. He has a sefer of his tshuvas that's called the Tashbeitz, Shal Tshuvas Tashbeitz, as well as a commentary on Pirkei Ovis that's known as Mogen Ovis. Anyway, so Rabbi Amram Efrasi writes a question to Reb Shimon ben Samach Duran. He was a rabbi in the city of Algiers. The question goes like this. Uh, we, Rab Shimon ben Samach Duran is responding to the question and he writes as follows. El Harav Rabbi Amram Efrasi. There was a person in your community in Oran who had a dream. What was the nature of the dream? If the Jewish community doesn't that day uh, engage in a communal fast, the entire community will be excommunicated. There's a concept of excommunication that's done by a human court. That is, that is as a way to apply pressure on a human being, because we want him to avoid a certain behavior. So we're going to excommunicate that person. Fine. Then there's a concept of a heavenly excommunication. The Gemara talks about this concept that you can, so to speak, be excommunicated from Hashem. This, is, this person's dream was that if the whole community doesn't fast, we are all going to be excommunicated from Hashem. So the rabbi who was there gave up Sakdin. What was his ruling? That indeed, we're going to follow this person's dream, and the whole community is going to do a tainis sibur. Tainis sibur means not only everyone's fasting. 
However, v'kavu bracha betfilas mincha. That also means that they took out the sefer Torah, they read vayechal, they said anenu. Kavu bracha betfilas mincha. They said the anenu, that extra bracha that we only say on a fast. Why? All because of the dream. Rabbi Amram Efrasi lives in Oran, and he's a little intrigued by this. Is it? Is it okay? To, engage, to, to follow this person because of his dream, or are we taking his dream so seriously? And so he turns to Reb Shimon ben Tzamaq Duran, sometime this happening in the early 1400s, and he's asking him, what is your thoughts on this particular question? Now, Reb Shimon ben Tzamaq Duran shares the following. He writes the following. Veda, I want you to know. About 20 years ago, there was a Jew by the name of Chakun ben Abu who had a dream. Now, he gives us a little bit of a note about this Chakun ben Abu. Today, he went uh, in the wrong direction. This probably means he converted either to Christianity or to Islam, but I don't know if we can be 100% sure. Well, what did he have a dream? But then he was fine. And what was his dream? That the community needs to fast. Not one fast, not two fast, three fast. Gimel Taniyos. Shani, Hamishi, Shani. Monday, Thursday, and Monday. Okay, now this happened in Algiers. Who was the Rav in Algiers? The third rabbi that I said we're going to talk about. He too left from Spain because of these riots and went to live in North Africa. His na- he's known as the Rivosh. His dates are given usually as 1326 to 1408. Rav- so the Rivosh was there. And, and here we see that by the time this chuba was written, he had passed away. What did the Rivosh do in that case? Took it seriously. The Gazar Gimel Tainius. Everyone in Algiers, the entire Jewish community is now fasting three days. Why? Because Chakun Ben Abu, which we already know later, probably converted, uh, had this dream. And by the way, we should notice, this Chakun, his end only showed what was really going on in the beginning. Already at that point in time, while he was still a member of the Jewish community, but his youth wasn't uh, a wasn't a spotless youth. And, and in other words, he had a bad reputation already. Then says Reb Shimon ben Samach Duran, and because of his dream, our teacher the Rivosh should not have declared a league should not have made a fast. Okay, why shouldn't he have? He doesn't say. He just said because of him, he shouldn't have made a fast. Let's continue. What happened? How did the community take to these three fasts? The community laughed at these fasts. They mocked the fast. The they called them Tainis Chaloim, a dream fast. Now, Tainis Chaloim is actually a legitimate and real concept that we have in the Gemara. It's a serious thing in the halacha we'll soon see. That's not what they were saying here. They meant it in a different way. Dream as pejorative. It's a dream fast as pejorative. It's not reality. That's what the community was saying. Now came Mincha time. And Mincha, they want to do Anenu, they want to do Vayichal, they want to do the Raftaira. We couldn't gather 10 Jews together to daven Mincha with the Rivash, the Heleke Rivash, the great Rivash, can't find 10 Jews to daven with him. Why? Because no one wants to join this fast. They're all against the fast. The people didn't want to accept this fast. And what happened then is that the Rivash then regretted it. The Rivash then regretted it. Which then raises the interesting question. If the Rivash regretted declaring the fast, 
What was he thinking? Why did he think? Why did he declare it? This is a little bit of an odd thing. And as we move through the, the content here, hopefully this will become a little clarified. Reb Shem Ben Samach continues and says, I did join the fast. So uh, he was one of the people who did join. And he applied a Gemara. It's an interesting Gemara where one of the Tanoim says, I know that I'm not a Koyin. But if my friends tell me, go Duchen, I'm going to go Duchen. This is one of the Tanoim said. It's a very odd statement. What do you mean? You know you're not a Koyin. Your friends are telling you why you're going to go up. So there's different ways of learning this. For example, the Meiri says that it's an exaggeration. It's not literal. What's the soul of what's being said over here? The soul of what's being said over here is that if, you know, if, if the, my, rat, my friends in the base Medrash are going in a certain direction, I follow them. I'm not going to be an outlier. I'm not going to be Poyrish Minatzibur. And this is what the Tashbait is saying. Rabshim ben Samach Duran is saying that that's why he fasted. He himself didn't really believe in the fast. He agreed with the population. But because the Rivash said, we're doing a fast, so he went along with it. And so therefore, we have two questions that need to drive us uh, tonight. Question number one is, what is the din when one person has a dream? When one person has a dream and he says, everyone has to fast, do we take that seriously? Do we not take that seriously? That's question number one. Question number two, what was going on over here with the Rivash? Then on the one hand, he took it seriously. On the other hand, uh, people weren't willing to listen to him. And then he regretted what happened uh, over here. So the Tash Beits now is responding to Rabbi Amram Efrasi. And what he says is like this. Let me write an essay in general about how Judaism regards dreams. Why? Because we have a problem. What's the problem? There are times when we look at the Gemara and we look at the Midrashim, we find that our rabbis took them very, very, very seriously. However, that's not the whole story. If you open the same Gemara, you could find another page of the Gemara where the rabbis didn't take the dream so seriously. So let's actually have a look at these differing Mekoitis and lay it all out there and then see uh, how we're going to reconcile it. So first, let's look at sources, classic sources in Chazal that take the dreams uh, seriously. Number one, the Gemara in Brachis says as follows. If a person sees David HaMelech in his dream, then he could look forward to piety. Why? Because David is a symbol of piety. So if you saw him in a dream, that means piety is coming to you. Next, if you saw Shlaima HaMelech in your dream, you should expect wisdom. Why? Because Shlaima HaMelech is the personification of wisdom in Tanakh, so therefore that's what's hopefully going to happen to you. Achav, if you saw Achav, Achav is a wicked king, and wicked kings get punished, so then Yidag may not Puranus, and you have, to be, you have to worry that something negative may happen to you. This is a small line from a very lengthy sugya in the Gemara and Brachis, where more than 70 examples are given, as if you saw X, it means Y. If you saw A, it means B. It gives a whole bunch of examples of many different objects, more than 70. So obviously this Gemara is taking dreams very, very seriously. That's number one. Number two, the Gemara in the Dharam, Davches Ahmed Aleph says as follows, Amar of Yosef, Rav Yosef said, Nido'u b'achaloin. If a person found that in his dream, he was excommunicated. What, I don't know exactly what he would see, but that doesn't have to concern us. He saw something and now he's convinced he was excommunicated. He needs to sit in front of 10 people. And those 10 people have to, so to speak, absolve him of this ex excommunication. What's going on over here? Usually a human excommunication doesn't need 10 people. Three people. Why? Because three people is like a court, and they're good enough to get you out of your uh, human excommunication. 
However, here we're afraid that it happened in a dream. If it happened in a dream, it's a message from Hashem. If it's a message from Hashem, what three people? You need to have ten people. Why ten people? The Ran explains, because ten people, the Shechina is with them. So that is something that could countermand the, the, nidu, the Nidoi that was given by Hashem. Wow, this Gemara is definitely taking dreams very seriously. Next Gemara, the Gemara in Shabbos, Tafir Aleph, Ahmed Aleph says as follows. Rav Yeshua, Bereder Rav Idi, Rav Yeshua, Ikla Levei Rav Ashi, visited the home of Rav Ashi. Amrule, they came to the house, they said, Litoimar Midi, please eat something. Amar Luhu, so Rav Yeshua said, I can't eat, but Tainis Yosivna, I am fasting today. Amrule, they said to him, don't you agree with the concept that even if you're fasting, you could break your fast and make it up on a different day? Like, what if you're fasting for some reason? No, no big deal. We have this teaching, break your fast now, and you'll fast a different day. Don't you agree with that? So Amar Lahu, he said, no, I, I, perhaps I agree with that, but that's not relevant here. Why is it not relevant here? Because Tainus Cholom Hu, my fast and I'm fasting today is because last night I had a dream. I had a bad dream. Because I had a bad dream, therefore I'm fasting today. Per the teaching of Rava Bar Mechasya, who said that Yafet Tainus Lachaloim, that a Tainus is powerful to negate a bad dream, it's like fire and flax. I mean, the visual of fire and flax like tearing through it and destroying it. Well, guess what? When a person has a bad dream, it could be a bad omen. And it could mean that something negative may happen. Is there anything that could destroy it? Is it destiny? No, it's not destiny. It's in my hands to actually fix it. How could I fix it? What's my fire that could destroy the bad omen of the dream? When I do a fast. And Rav Chista clarified, it has to be that day. It has to be day of the fast. So I can't push it off. So that's why I'm not eating today. And then Rav Yosef went further and said, Even though on Shabbos there is a chiyuv to eat, there's covered Shabbos, there's oinik Shabbos, and we have all those things, but because this thing is so important to you, as a person you're worried, and you want to use this tool to get rid of the bad dreams, and therefore the Chachamim came along and said that you have the right to fast on Shabbos, and this is the concept of a tainis chaloy. Another Gemara clarifies that you need to then fast another time for the sin of fasting on Shabbos. Fine. So you need to fast another time for the sin of fasting on Shabbos. But at the end of the day, you're allowed to fast on Shabbos. What is the overall feeling that you get when you read this Gemara? Is we're taking dreams very, very seriously, but not seriously enough that it's for sure going to happen, the negative thing that you saw in the dream. In fact, you have the ability to get rid of it. Fine. Still doesn't take away from the fact that we're taking dreams pretty seriously over here. By the way, on the topic of fasting, but then, oh, I sinned because I didn't eat on Shabbos, so I need to fast for that sin. It's an interesting Misa that's brought about the Alter Rebbe. At one time, the Alter Rebbe was having a conversation with a non-Hasidic Rav. So this non-Hasidic Rav said, you know, why do people have to come to visit you? Hasidim, they're always traveling to the Rebbe. So the Alter Rebbe said, it's very important that they hear Torah directly from me. So the other rabbi said, sounds really nice, but you should know that when they're traveling to visit you, it's Bittal Torah because they're not studying during their travel time. So the Alter Rebbe said, Bittal Torah doesn't have to happen. It doesn't need to happen. In other words, you, you're, uh, someone who's an organized person, they can travel in such a way where it's not going to cause Bittal Torah. So the rabbi answered, very nice in theory, but in actual fact, I'm telling you, Bittal Torah does happen. And because Bittal Torah is happening, it's not good. So the Alter Rebbe said, if Bittal Torah is happening, so then the Hasidim are going to have to do tshuva for the Bittal Torah that is caused by them coming to visit uh, me in Liadi or Liyajna or wherever it was. So the rabbi asked back, what is the purpose of having them go to you and doing Bittal Torah? And then they need to do Tshuva for the Bittal Torah. Let them just stay home and then there wouldn't be the Bittal Torah and then you wouldn't have this whole problem. 
The Alter Rebbe said, the answer is a Befei Gemara. So the rabbi started thinking, a Befei Gemara, where is this Befei Gemara? He couldn't figure out which Gemara it is. So the Alter Rebbe said, it's this Gemara that we're alluding to now. That we say a person is allowed to fast on Shabbos. But because a person sinned and fast on Shabbos, so therefore he needs to fast during the week to make up for that. So we could come and say, just don't fast on Shabbos. And then you wouldn't have this problem and you wouldn't have to make a fast during the week for the sin of, of fasting on Shabbos. What does this Gemara tell us? No. Why? Because there's a real problem. There's an underlying problem. What's the underlying problem? That I saw and I had a bad dream. And because of that, there's a real issue when I need to engage in Shuva. And that Shuva includes fasting. Because fasting is the keli through which is the medium uh, for Shuva. So I need to engage in my fast. It needs to be on that day. So therefore, I end up, so to speak, sinning and fasting on Shabbos. And then making up for that later. So too, when it comes to a chassid and a rebbe, he said. A chassid needs to be by his rebbe because of underlying problems that is innate to human living, the struggles and the difficulties. A chassid needs that help that he has from the rebbe, whether it's in a private meeting that he has with the rebbe, or whether it is by hearing his Torah, he needs that. Similar to the person who needs to fast on Shabbos. And then, really, there should be a way of doing it where it doesn't cause bittel Torah, but if chas v'shalom, it causes bittel Torah, so then it's similar to the fast that's making up for the fast. Adkan ha The bottom line is, Back to what we're talking about here, in all of these sources, we are seeing, we're taking dreams very seriously. Perhaps with one important caveat, and that's a teaching that Rashi brings in Parshas Vayeshev, and comes from the Gemara in Brachas Nunhei Amid Aleph, that Rabbi Yechanan said in the name of Shimon Ben Yochai, just as you can't have the real substance of the grain without some chaff mixed in, without some, negative, uh, some non-food elements mixed in, so you cannot have a dream without having some nonsense mixed in. How, this is quoted in Parshas Vayesha by Rashi. Yosef's dreams are legitimate, but there's some fa- falsehood in the dream. What was the falsehood in the dream? That he saw his mother bowing to him. His mother had already passed away. So Rashi tells us, this is Now, so what do you see here? Here, you're saying, okay, we're going to take dreams seriously, but there's always a caveat. What's the caveat? There's going to be one piece of nonsense, at minimum one piece of, ma- of nonsense mixed in. But other than that, all of these sources seem to be saying, put this together, we're taking dreams very seriously. On the note of this idea of some nonsense mixed in, so the Rebbe once spoke about this, that when you read this in Parshas Vayeshev and you see a Rashi telling you there's some nonsense mixed in, so a, 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 a child who's reading this then faces the question, what about Parshas Vayetze? Where the parsha begins with Vayachaloim, there was a dream. And now in Vayeshev, he learned there needs to be some nonsense mixed into every dream. So where is the nonsense in Parshas Vayetze? So the Rebbe explained that the nonsense is very apparent. What is it? The ladder. Why? Because what did he see on the ladder? He saw Malachim going up and going down. Now, let's imagine you want to tro- approach this from a very child, childish perspective. A childish pr- perspective, a ladder makes no sense. Why? Because angels from a child perspective, have wings. They're winged individuals. And you read Yeshaya, Yecheskel, that's how they're described. So in other words, we know someone that something that has wings doesn't need a ladder. So the whole concept of a ladder makes no sense. If you want to go to a more abstract uh, uh, perspective, where there are no wings on angels, so then for sure you don't need a ladder for something spiritual. It's, it's mobile without, uh, without having a ladder. So therefore the ladder that I've said is the example of where we see the Dvar and Betelim is where we see the nonsense in, uh, in, that particular, in that particular dream. Uh, there's also a story the Rebbe repeated n- numerous times about the Ruzhina. That the Friedrich Rebbe said this about the Ruzhina. The story goes that the Ruzhina would always ask Rashi's questions. 
In other words, he anticipated what Rashi was going to ask. So when they read the Pusik, he already said, hey, what about this? And then his teacher said, very good, Rashi addresses that question. When it came to the beginning of Parshas Vayetze, his teacher said, why are you not asking the question? So he said, I don't have any question. Why are you not asking the question? I don't have any question. Okay, fine, what's the question? So the teacher said, the question is, how come it says that the Malachim are oil in the yard and going up and going down? If the place of angels are in heaven, first they should be going down, then later coming up. And Rashi indeed addresses this question. So the Rushan, as the little boy said, I don't understand the question. We're talking about a dream. And if it's a dream, there has to be some nonsense mixed in. And so therefore, I didn't ask the question. Okay. However, as much as we have all these sources that say, that give legitimacy to dreams, just with the caveat that there's going to be a little nonsense mixed in, we have a number of sources in Chazal that seem to throw dreams out of the window. Let's begin in the Gemara Brachis Daf Nun Hey, where it says as follows. They said as follows. A person is shown at night during his dreams, nothing more than his own thoughts. And this teaching is then expressed in the following example. You had Caesar, the Roman emperor, telling Rabbi Shua Bar Hanana, they're, they're in constant dialogue in the Gemara, these, uh, uh, the Roman leaders, Roman leaders are Rabbi Shua Bar Hanana. They say, or you say, that you guys are wise. So, tell me, what am I going to see in my dream tonight? Amrlei said as follows, You will see that you will be captured by the Persians. The Persians were the arch nemesis of the Romans during this period of time. So this is his main enemy. They will enslave you. And they will force you to herd, say pigs, Bechutra did the hava with a golden staff. Okay, so he told him what jumps out at me here in this Gemara is two things. Number one, he, he tapped into his greatest fears. What was the Roman emperor's greatest fear at this time? The Persians, his mortal enemy, number one. Number two, he said something to him that was just very bizarre. Herding pigs with a golden staff, that's like saying a pink elephant jumping over the moon. It just sounds really weird. So what happened as a result of tapping into someone's fear and saying something that's really bizarre? Here, here, kula yoima. The Caesar thought about this the entire day. And what happened? Ula arta chaza. And that night he saw. In other words, what did Rabbi Shulman Hanani did? He basically gave the guy the dream by forcing him to think about it, by tapping into his anxiety and his curiosity. What do you see here? What is your dream? Nothing more than your thoughts. This is diametrically opposed to everything that we were learning about till now. All of a sudden here, dreams sound like they're nothing. Next. Sanhedrin Daflamid Omer Aleph says as follows: A father passed away and left the Yerusha. He told the son, "By the way, I left five hundred dollars in Yerusha of the coins. I don't know where he left it. I don't know where my father left the money." And then the master of the dream. We're not going to get into what this means. The Gemara, the 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 Malach in charge of the dream. Who knows? Whatever. And said the person had a dream, and in the dream he heard the following: it's $500, and there, it's in your basement, and oh, by the way, it's not regular money, it's Meiser Shani. What does that mean? Meiser Shani is, that the Taita says, that there's two Meisers every year. In year three and year six of the Shemitah cycle, the second Meiser is a Meiser where you take your fruits, you bring it up to Yerushalayim, and you have to eat it in Yerushalayim. Sorry, not year three and six. Year one, two, four, and five. That's Meiser Shani. You bring the fruits to Yerushalayim. Now, what happens is, you're going to schlep uh, 100 pounds of t- tomatoes to your shlime, it, uh, it's too difficult. 
the Torah says, what you do is you sell it locally, and then that money becomes Maisa Shani, and then when you're ready, you take the money to Yerushalayim, and you buy food in Yerushalayim, and you eat it there, and if you, you're full, then you give it to other people in Yerushalayim. So this money you can't use for anything. This money you have to take to Yerushalayim and spend it there on food. So the dream said that this money is in a certain amount, the exact amount he was looking for, and it's in the, it's in, it's, it's, he found it, he located it, but the dream says that it's Maisa Shani, which means you can't use it for construction at home, you can't use it to go on a vacation, you have to use it in this very, very limited way. Zahoyamai said this in fact happened. The Amru, they came to the rabbis, he wanted to know if he could use this money to spend it on vacation, and the rabbi said he could. I, the dream said it's Maisa Shani. Dreams don't matter. Dreams don't matter. Not this way, not that way, not lechumra, not lekula. Doesn't matter. We don't care about dreams. This is even though this dream has proven accurate. Even though the dream proven accurate because it knew exactly where the money was. We throw the dream out. Another example. You had an apotropos and a, an administrator. What happens is when there's Yesoyimim, they pass away, uh, the father passes away, we need someone to look out for the needs, a custodian, so to speak, to look out for the needs of the Yosim, and he administers their finances. So he lived in the neighborhood of Rabmeir. He was selling the land of the Yesoyimim to buy slaves. Now this is a big no-no. If you're an administrator of someone's estate, the Gemara in fact says you're not allowed to do that. Administrator of the state, you have to have the best interest in mind of your clients. The best, it's never in the best interest of them to sell land, real estate for slaves. Slaves, they get old, they get tired, they get lazy, they run away, they die. Real estate is real estate. So Chacham made a takana, you're not allowed to do this. Well, guess what? This administrator was doing it. The mayor said, you're not allowed to do it, you gotta stop you. He wanted to get, get involved. mayor had a dream. What did the dream say? I want to destroy. And you want to build? In other words, the dream was saying, it's divine plan that these Yisoyimim should lose this real estate. So that's a divine plan. And you're getting involved. Ramir didn't care. Amar, he said, Dreams do not matter. So now the question becomes, here we saw a number of sources that were giving uh, credence to dreams. Here we saw a number of sources that are basically saying dreams are nonsense. How are we supposed to reconcile this? So there could have been a, an answer that would go like this. It's a machloikas. You could say it's a machloikas. And you say that in fact, if you, uh, the, the names uh, are not the same individuals. The Tanoim and Amaroim who are quoted in the first batch of teachings are not the same Tanoim and Amaroim who are quoted in the second batch of teachings. And so maybe it's just a debate all the way back to the Talmudic times. In fact, some people do want to explore this possibility also went so far as to say, and maybe go back to Yosef and the brothers and say, this was a debate between Yosef and his brothers. Yosef took his dream seriously because he held like the first view, and the brothers took dream, uh, disregarded the dreams because they held like the second view. However, it's very difficult to say this. Uh, first of all, we have a general rule that we rather reconcile than to say that there's a dispute. So if there is a way to reconcile, then that's preferable, number one. Number two, in halacha, if you open the Shulchan Aruch, you have both of these. On the one hand, you have the din of the Maiser Shani, the Rambam quotes his din of the Maiser Shani, that it's not Maiser Shani, disregard. On the other hand, you have the law about Nidui, that if a person is put into Nidui, he needs to do something about it. So it's not really the perfect answer to say that there is a machlekes. And so therefore, we have to come uh, to try to reconcile these two. So the, Gemara, the truth is that if you go back to the Gemara already, the Gemara starts this reconciliation process. Because the Gemara has the following question. 
The Gemara says like this, Rava Rami. Ravi, Rava asked the following question. Instead of asking it on all of the teachings that we had, he turned, looked back to Psukim. And he quotes two Psukim, and these Psukim lead us to opposite conclusions. One Pasuk says, Bachaloim boy. The dream is the vehicle by which God speaks to the prophet. This is a, a Pasuk in Sefer Bamidbar. On the other hand, you have a Pasuk in Zechariah that says, um, hashav yedaberu, implying that there is some uh, that there is a link between dreams and falsehoods. So he's asking a question. How do you have both at the same time? One Pasuk uh, um, a prompt, uh, uh, giving uh, credence to dreams and the other uh, speaking of it as falsehood. And for Trava, Kasha, it's not a question. Kan al malach, kan al shade. It all depends. Where the, there's two types of dreams. One type of dream is where the person is informed information by a malach. That's a legitimate dream. That's a prophetic dream. That's a dream that you would give credence to. Then there's a dream where a person hears information from a shade from a demon. And when you hear information from a shade and a demon, that is where we say it is nonsense. Okay. Now the Tashbates, now remember, we're dealing with a tshuva from Rav Shimon ben Samach Duran. So he quotes all these sources. And then he goes on to say, let me tell you what this means. Okay. Now he was from the school that felt free. And this comes up so often in these classes. He felt very free to uh, understand Gemaras, uh, especially the Agadata Gemara, in a uh, metaphoric way. So he does that here. He says, I'll tell you what a shade here means. Shade, what does a shade mean? So he, he doesn't want to go literal with demons. So for him, what he does with a shade, is he says a shade here is a reference to, uh, shade means robs, shoded means to rob. So it talks about when you're in a, when you're in a real negative mood, when you're in a bad mood, when you're in a bad place, something is wrong within your soul, and as a result of that, you get robbed of your normalcy, so to speak. You get robbed of, being, uh, of, of feeling right and feeling straight. And so he says, that's what it means over here. And he goes on to say that basically you have, when your imagination is healthy, then a malach could connect to your imagination, and those are good dreams. You have when your imagination is unhealthy, so then a malach can't connect. And so therefore, you end up having the negative dreams. Of course, this is Zayar and other sources look at this Gemara and take it literally. Then no, there's this concept of evil spirits, of Tumah, that attach themselves to the person. And, that, uh, and that's where the, uh, the false dreams are coming from there. The good dreams are coming from the Malach. However, this leads us with a problem. Why? The problem is like this. That how am I supposed to know when I wake up in the morning, where did my dream come from? So, in one way, we reconciled the problem, but in another, we didn't. In other words, yeah, if it comes from a malach, thumbs up. If it comes from a shade, thumbs down. But how am I supposed to know where it's coming from? So this leads us to the Tashbates' big Kiddush. This is how he develops this point. Go to number 13. He goes, the bottom line is, Anytime a person has a dream, we are in a doubt, or you built it. Anytime someone has a dream, we don't know. We don't know if it's legitimate or if it's not. Now, so how do we handle that? who it is well known, when it comes to monetary manner, matters, so when there is a doubt about this money, does the money belong to Ruvain? Does it belong to Shimon? When we don't know, we say, where is it right now? Who has, the, who has the default ownership claim? Let's just leave it there. This is a constant refrain in the Gemara. That's why the Gemara says about this person, 
who wanted the money and the dream told him that it's Maiser Shani. He doesn't have to rely on the dream. The money should retain its default status exactly as it was before. Because remember, this guy was told by his father, there's $500. The father didn't say anything about it being Maiser Shani, something a father would normally tell his child. In other words, Therefore, the money has a chazaka of being non-Maiser Shani money. And so therefore, you can't use, we never know if a dream is coming from a demon or an angel. We never know if it's good or not. So what do you do? I don't know if this dream was legitimate or not. So what do you do? You leave the money at its pre, at the status where it was before today. Where was it before today? It was in a status of non-Maiser Shani, and therefore it retains that status. It cannot do anything to get the money out. Now, are you going to say, one second, here L'Chaira, you have evidence that it's coming from the Malach. What's the evidence? Because the dream is true. You, it actually pointed out the right number of bills or coins, and it pointed out the exact location. So L'Chaira, here you have evidence that it's coming from a good place. Well, the answer is, not necessarily. That may just be a happenstance. That may not necessarily be that it, it actually came from that source. Or, if you want to go further, you could say, maybe you're going to say it did come from a malach. But every dream we know has Dvarim Betelim. Maybe that's the Dvarim Betelim. In fact, the amount can't be the Dvarim Betelim. The location can't be the Dvarim Betelim, because those are right. So if there's something that's going to be the Dvarim Betelim, it's going to be this. Okay, so this is a little extra commentary into what the Tashbait is saying over here. Then he goes on to say the same thing with the, the case of the Apotropos. Remember, what happened in the case of the Apotropos? The din is, you're not allowed to sell. If you're an administrator for an estate for orphans, you're not allowed to sell real estate to buy slaves. This guy is going against the din. I don't care. I'm not using dreams to go against the din. If the din says no, you don't use dreams to go against the din. So really what we're learning from here is two principles. You're not going to use a dream to change the status of money. You're not going to use a, a, a dream to change a din. Why? Because you never really know if the dream is accurate or not. And so therefore, we just retain those default statuses. On the other hand, when a person is excommunicated in a dream, so not like this. If it's through an angel, then this person is excommunicated. If it came from the non-legitimate sources, then it's not an excommunication. Vimkain, this means that Suffolk Minuda, Suffolk Enemenuda means it's in doubt whether this person is in Nidoy or not. So then how do we treat this? This is an instance of a Suffolk Isura. This is not Suffolk Mamun. This is not Suffolk Mamun. This is a Suffolk. Is this person allowed to engage in certain behaviors or not? Namely, someone's in Nidoy is not allowed to take a haircut. Someone's in Nidoy is not allowed to go to the Merchats. Someone's in Nidoy is not allowed to be in the presence of other people within their Dalai so here we have a shayla. Is it mutter to do these things or not? So what happens? Well, see, he says like this. Anytime you have a shayla and a suffolk and a din. So what do you do? You have to play it safe. You have to play it safe. So what does it mean you have to play it safe? So the classical example of this is, you rent a house on Erev Pesach. Okay, you don't know. Did the guy do Bikas Chametz or not? So you can say, well, I can rely on the fact that he's a Jew. He's a good Jew. So the, so the Rishonim say, no, you need to call and ask. Why? Because you're, you're able to. You're able, so go that extra step. And what do you lose? A phone call. You lost nothing. Now that is here with Nidui. What do you lose? Or what do you have to lose? Nothing. Bring three Jews together and be matter your uh, Nidui. You have an easy takana that you're able to do. After all, it could be it's true. We don't know for sure. So therefore you do it. So in the other cases, we said what do you, we're not trans, money we're not transferring because of a dream, because of a doubt. We're not doing that. 
Then we're not changing a din because of the doubt. We can't do that. Play it safe and go and call three people and be matter. You need to go ahead because that's an easy step you could do. And then you then, then we avoid the possibility that maybe you engage in an iser. This is the aside that the Tashbits gives in his uh, in his shuvah. So in other words, rather than looking for a debate and a dispute, he uh, reconciles all of these sources. Okay, now he comes back to this case. What was our case? Our case was someone in the city of Oran had a dream that the entire community needs to fast, and if they don't fast, they're going to be excommunicated. So on the one hand, you could say, well, what's the big deal over here, right? Just go ahead, just go ahead and fast. No, there's two issues that he brings up. Issue number one, we never had a Talmudic source taking seriously the idea of Ruvain had a dream, a dream that now becomes binding on other people. We, we just didn't see a source for that. In other words, our attitude has been, well, if you have nothing to lose, it's not causing damage anyway, so then you take the dream seriously. That's pretty much been the attitude. And by the way, he did it. that's also the attitude of the Tainas Chaloim. What's a Tainas Chaloim? I had a dream, it sounded like a bad omen, I'm worried, let me engage in Shuvah today, why not? What's the worst that's going to happen? So you didn't have Kiddush and Challah and Shabbos. Okay, no, to say that that's the type of thing that we're happy to negotiate on and we're willing to, and we're, we're willing to say that that's okay. Fine. So that's with, the, that's with the fast. But over here, here you're making, not yourself fast. You're making a whole other community fast. Do you have evidence in the Gemara that would say that we're going to take a fast seriously, that you're going to cause, so to speak, this pain for an entire community? That's number one. Number two, there is an issue of Isser here. What's the issue? Is, is, what's the issue? If you're making a time of Sibur, so then you're making perhaps a bracha levatala because you're adding a bracha of shemeat fila into the shemayn esrei. So if you're adding it into an existing bracha the way we do it in the shtila shemayn esrei, that's not a problem. You're allowed to add lines into the shemayn esrei. But when the chazan does chazaras hashatz, the repetition, and there he adds a bracha, that's you know only is a few lines. But we know halacha takes the idea of adding a bracha very, very seriously. Is that allowed? And so for these two reasons, he's really hesitant to say that, that this should be okay. And in fact, there's a, a little bit of an inclination to say that it's not okay. He then continues and says, however, I want to tell you that there is one Gemara that maybe could back it up. We're not going to get into that Gemara. Maybe could back it up. So at least it's a limut schos that if the community did do it, not the end of the world. Okay, and that's where he quotes this Rivash, the story of the Rivash. Where the Rivash said, what did the Rivash say? That the, 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 the case of the Rivash was very similar. Someone made a fast and he went ahead and declared the fast. Why did the Rivash declare the fast? The Chayra, if the evidence is kind of leading in the direction that he shouldn't have done it. Why? And, and the Rivash himself regretted it. So what happened? Why did the Rivash Taka declare the fast? And here the Tashbates says an amazing thing about the Rivash who was older than him. Look, at the second paragraph of 14. Why did the Rivash take it seriously? If the best is a limutzchos, in such case, for these two reasons. Again, you're Mitzayar, a whole community, number one. Number two, you're adding brachas. Eh, difficult. So then why did the Rivash do it? Because he told us. The Rivash was a Rebbe. And he said, he was the Rav in 1391 in Valencia, city in Spain. And before the Gzeira of 1391, a Yid knocked on his door and told him, and the Yid's name was Shloyma Matish. And he said, You have to reverse, you have to make a fast. Why? This Shloyma Matish had a dream 
in which he saw a huge conflagration, a huge fire in the house of the Rivash. The Loi Choshash Ludvar of Klal. However, the Rivash said, Get out of here! Why? You had a dream? Fine. You want to make a Tainus Chalem? Fine. Nidoi, we want to get you out of a Nidoi. Also, all these things we're not really losing much. To make an entire communal fast because of this, to be Mitzara, an entire community, out of here. We don't take, we don't sign evidence enough of that in the Gemara. Allah has come kama. If you want to add a bracha to Shemayin Asrik, forget it. Okay. But then what happened? 1391 happened. And the riots happened. And the entire Jewish community in Spain went up in flames. And the Rivash had to run away. And the Rivash himself had charata. And he saw that this dream actually happened. And that's why the trauma was with him. And so that's why a few years later when he's the Rav in Algeria. And the person comes to him. What was his name? Chakun ben Abu. Comes and says, I had a dream. Everyone has to do three days. And although again, halacha would seem to indicate in the other direction that you shouldn't take that dream seriously. Uh, nonetheless, because of the trauma of the past, he leaned on it and he, uh, and he took it seriously, but then he regretted it. He regretted it because no one in the community took it seriously and then he realized that maybe that wasn't, uh, uh, that maybe that wasn't the best decision. Now, like this. There is an endless amount of commentary on dreams in Yiddishkeit. Rishoinim, achroinim, so much has been written. But I do think it's fair to say that until we come to the 1800s, what we saw from the Tashbates is the general framework and approach, and most people fit into that general approach. People add a detail here, a caveat here, another chumrah here, another kula here, but more or less, it's this framework. Some dreams are legitimate, some dreams are illegitimate, there probably isn't really a way to know what's what, and so therefore in these matters we pass in this way, in these matters we pass in that way, and that's pretty much how it's navigated. There is no significant change in the Hashkafa that I was able to identify until we come to the 1800s. And all of a sudden, there's a significant change, a very significant change that is introduced. As I'll show you, first we'll see it by the Tzamech Tzedek and Al Rebbe, and then correspondingly by the Arach HaShulcha. Okay. But in order to understand this shift, we need to go to one of the Paiskim who lived earlier, who discussed this issue, the Taz. The Taz is an Eirachayim, Simen Reish Peiches, it's a mistake, not Reish Tzadiches, Reish Peiches, and the Taz says a very simple point. Remember earlier we learned that the Roman uh, emperor was tricked into essentially having a dream on a certain topic? So the Taz says, hey, wh where does that fit into the analysis? That should fit into the framework too. And he adds it into the framework. How does he add it, add it into the framework? He says, very simple. I accept the general concept that laid out by the Tashbase 100%. And so therefore, Tainus Cholom is something that we do. Because why not? You're not losing anything, and it makes you feel better, and this is your way for tshuva, so go ahead. Then he says like this, what happens if you know for sure, and we'll read in his lush in, in, in a second, that you'll see that I'm, I think I'm paraphrasing this right. What happens if you know for sure that you were thinking about a pink elephant during the day between 11 o'clock and 12, and you know for sure, and then you dreamt about it later that night? In that case, there's no time as cholam. Why? Because here you know for sure that it's not from a malach. Here you know for sure it's not from above. Here you know for sure it's because you were thinking about it. Right? That makes sense. It's a very, very interesting point. And so therefore what he's doing is he's saying there's a limitation to the concept of taking it seriously. I think he would maybe say that for Nidoy also. If you were thinking all day that, that you're being excommunicated by Hashem, so then if you dreamt about it, you're not going to take it seriously. Let's read it inside. Nida, it seems to me, says the Taz, he's writing in the 1600s, the Bechol Gavne. Shehir 
any situation where you dreamt during the day. And then you had a dream, excuse me, that you thought that you considered a topic and thought about it during the day. And then you had a dream later that night. You cannot say, God showed this to you. It's only your thought that caused it. And here he quotes the story of Rabbi Shua ben Hananya and the emperor. What do we see? Sometimes it's all about your thoughts. And it's no sign from heaven whatsoever. Okay, therefore, you're not allowed to. The place can say he means to say. In that case, you're not allowed to fast on Shabbos whatsoever. I believe this is the way to go. Okay? And the Alter Rebbe, by the way, quotes this in Shulchan Arach. All right. This, this, is, this is saying a very a narrow point, a very, very narrow point. Let's see, however, how this gets quoted by the Samach Sadek. So the Samach Sadek has a tshuva where he's addressing a different issue. What's the issue? It starts off by saying, it's Someone had a seminal omission on Yom Kippur. The problem with that is that the Gemara says that a person who had that experience on Yom Kippur is Yidag Kol Hashanah. Should be worried all year that something negative is going to happen to this person. Okay, so someone had this experience and obviously he's very, very worried and he writes to the Tzamech Sadek, what should I do? How can I fix this? Tzamech Sadek responds as follows. Befeidish Shmi Ali, I heard clearly from the Alter Rebbe, Shaloi Lifchoid Mizan, not to be afraid of this. Why? It's a clear Gemara. So he goes on to say, When the Gemara mentioned this thing, when is for great and holy people? So holy, Mitzad your own thoughts, to have this type of a mission, impossible, you're such a holy person that it could never happen, uh, judging by your own character and behavior and thought patterns. So then when it happens, you should worry, because in other words, when is it a sign from heaven? If it couldn't be from me, right? You can't, it can't be. Your act is not a sign from heaven. If I act in a certain way, that's not heaven speaking to me, that's me speaking. So if I'm a person who this is the type of thing that normally would happen to me, you can't say that it's a heavenly sign, so you can't say you should be worried. But for someone who, what? Impossible. Oh, then why did it happen? Heavenly sign. Therefore, you should be worried. If you're the type of person who it's shy for you to have this experience, the whole Gemara is inapplicable to you. He said this again and again and again and a third time. And in fact, he laughed at person when he saw that the person was depressed over this. Why? Because it meant this person was misunderstanding the Gemara or this person was holding themselves to be a person that they were not. And so therefore, this, is the, this was the position of the Alter Rebbe. So far, everything that we learned has nothing to do with our topic tonight. And if it would have ended here, it wouldn't be part of the Shir. However, the Samach Sadek continued and wrote as follows. And the words of the Alter Rebbe, I don't need to bring riots for them. I don't need to support it. You should know, this is the Taz. Which is exactly what we're talking about over here. The Tzamach Sadek makes a tzushtel. He says that what the Alter Rebbe said is the same thing the Taz said. Hold on a second. That's not what the Taz said. The Taz said 
that if I'm a person who between 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock during the day, I was thinking about a pink elephant, so then comes that later that night, and I had a dream about it, so we say it didn't come from Hashem, it came from, it came from. That's not what's happening over here. The Tanakh Tzedek didn't say, oh, do you have impure thoughts on the day of Erevin Kippur? That's not the discussion here. He says, what type of person are you? Are you a person that has makshav that has alien thoughts? Are you a person who's a wanderer? Does your mind wander? So if you're a holy person, so then the whole thing doesn't apply. Then it applies to you. If you're an unholy person, the whole thing doesn't apply to you. In other words, he wants us to read the Taz. The Tamach Tzedek is, to re- is telling us to read the Taz more broadly. And basically, what you do is as follows. You say, I had a dream. And that dream is perhaps a scary dream. One second. Are you in control of your thoughts all the time? Are you someone who does your mind wander? So your mind's wandering, so maybe you thought about it last week, maybe you thought about it a month ago, or whatever it is, so therefore it's not a sign from heaven. If you're the type of person who your mind doesn't wander, and every second your mind is under your control, so then you would say, hey, how did you have that dream? And that type of dream is the one that becomes a sign from heaven. V'lachein, therefore, he, said, he finished off, said, you should be Messiah Das, and you should be Sameach V'tuv Leiv. The Tzamech Tzedek here is basically asking us to read the Taz in a broader way. And all of a sudden now, we have a new factor that gets introduced in the discussion that was not there by the Rishonim. The Rishonim did not discuss, oh, you had a dream? What type of person are you? That's not the question they asked. That's not the question they asked. In fact, we saw the Tashmets, it didn't come up. It didn't come up at all. What type of person you are? That didn't come up. There was no assumption that it's only for holy people. The assumption was, we're always in doubt. For everyone, we're in doubt. We never really know. And so therefore, we come up with these rules of how to act when in doubt. Tzamach Tzedek introduces a new thing to the conversation. You ask a question. What's the question? What type of person you are? And if the answer to that question is, my mind wanders, then we basically say, while it is still possible that it came from a malach, but here it's so unlikely that we can't take it seriously at all. And as you're going to see in a second, he doesn't uh, accept the concept of doing a tainus chalom. It shouldn't be done at all. There's a story that's quoted from a very reliable source from Yeshaya Alevi Horowitz, who lived from you know, 1880 to the 1970s, and he heard from, uh, um, from Rebleib Tsipris. He heard from Rebleib Tsipris. Here's the following story. One time Rebleib was in Lubavitch together with his father Rebzev, and they were by the Tzamech Sadak. And it was Friday night, and the father had a bad dream. Following the logic of the Gemara and the Poiskim, he was permitted to fast a Tainus Chalam on Shabbos. He discussed it with another Chassid, and he agreed, and so therefore he made the decision to fast. After davening Shabbos morning, the Tzamech Tzedek said a long mimer, and in the mimer he said as follows, about Chalamis B'zman because we live through a difficult Galos and difficult Tzaris, and so therefore our minds are wandering, we're constantly, our minds are rushing here and there. Our dreams are all messed up. Pay them no heed uh, at all. And therefore he said, And obviously the Chassid hearing this, right after the Chassidus that he heard, he went to make a, a Kiddush on Shabbos Kiddush. So here we see uh, this corresponds very much with what we saw from the Tamach Tzedek in the Tshuva. And uh, what's fascinating is that we find during the same century, the Arach HaShulchan, who's from the other tradition, not from the Hasidist tradition, from the, tra- from the tradition that followed the Gra and his students, he wrote Arach HaShulchan. And in his Arach HaShulchan, he also makes this leap 
that when you will not find in the earlier Paiskim. Look what he writes. He quotes the Gemara. He quotes the Gemara. There are two types of dreams. There's the legitimate dreams that you could rely on that come from a malach. There's the ones you cannot rely on. They come from a sheikh. And then he goes on and explains, what does this mean? Kaloima. If we're dealing with a pure person, of the of and all of his thoughts are Torah based, all of his thoughts are about Yiddish So when this person has a dream, definitely it's significant. That he's being shown from heaven through the angels. When you're dealing with simple people, people who are engaged in day to day life and the vanities of life. And then he says, by the way, what's that? The vanities of life, they are the demons. Remember the Tashbates wanted to explain demons in a metaphoric way. Arach HaShokhan does the same thing. Vanities of life, they rob you. They rob you of true success. And that's what the word shade means. Anyway, so their dreams, their dreams are all false. Uh, the Arach HaShokhan lived a few, uh, 1829 to 1908. Tzamach Sadak passed away in the 1860s. So it's mamish to the next generation. The same thought, the same idea. Again, if you look at the Arach HaShulchan's earlier sources, you look at the Taz, at these other uh, uh, Mepharshim uh, of the Shulchan Arach and earlier sources, you're not going to see this conversation of the type of person. This is a, a 19th uh, century development, which is very interesting. And therefore, the Arach HaShulchan says in Sif Ches, no fasting on Shabbos. On the weekday also you shouldn't fast. It's only for pure people. The zolasam, otherwise, it is nothing. Okay, now, a question that's a very interesting question. It's fine. A tainus chalim, there never is an obligation to do it. It was always permission. So what did the Samach Tzedek and Arach HaShokhan do? They said, by the way, we took away the permission. Fine. You, there's no big deal. So all it means, I don't have the permission anymore. What about the Nidoi case? The Gemara said that if someone is put in Nidoi, he has to get his Nidoi released. And this din is brought on the Shulchan Aruch. So this becomes a really interesting question that I haven't seen uh, discussed and definitely not at length. And I don't know if there's a definitive answer to this. What would the Aruch HaShulchan and the Samach Sadak say about Nidoi? Would they say, follow the logic. You're not a holy person, forget about it, toss it out. Or here, at the end of the day, because it's a din in Shulchan Arach, and it's something that you have to do, and it's not such a big deal, you get three people together, so then maybe they would say that's the type of thing that you should do. Okay, so I'm not sure, I'm, I'm going to leave that, uh, leave that question open. So in summary, what did we see? We saw as follows. We saw the contradictions in the Gemara, so to speak, some teachings giving dreams legitimacy, others that were saying the dreams have no legitimacy, and rather than saying that it's a debate, which is an option, but rather than going in that direction, we went toward reconciliation. And the reconciliation model basically tells us that dreams come from different sources. If you want to look at, uh, generally, you could say three different sources. There are dreams that come from angels. There are dreams that come from impure spirits. There are dreams that come from our own thoughts. Okay? If you put all those sources together, you would have from these three sources. From angels, those are reliable dreams. From demons and your own thoughts, those aren't reliable dreams. We are perpetually in doubt. We never know where the dream came from. We Pasha don't know. And so therefore, Allah has to tell us how to navigate doubt. That's the model that the Rishonim basically gave us, personified by what the Tashbeit said. And so therefore, it comes. To, to change a din, we're not going to do that. To, uh, to, um, to, to, to take money and change its status, we're also not going to do that. Uh, for someone who, to release a nito, well, we'll do it. 
to allow a tainus chalim, yeah, we'll uh, allow a tainus chalim. To impose a fast on the community, nah, we're not going to do that. Okay, so that's pretty much why, because this is the halachic way of navigating doubt. But then we saw that in the 19th century, the Tzamech Sadek and the Aruch HaShulchan introduced a new model. The new model basically said that if you're not from the few very, very special people who are in control of their thoughts all of the time, you basically throw out your dreams. It, you just can never say always, 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 because there always is a chance. As we know, Pare is not the, a saint. And he had dreams that were legitimate, right? So it's not like you reach a place where you're going to say that it's never going to be legitimate. I don't think that Tzamech Sadek intend that either. But what the big change is, all of a sudden, the Tainus Chalam is no longer permitted on Shabbos and is, it's, it's not recommended during the week as well. Okay, what's the last part that we need to do? I want to try to give a little bit of an overview of the Rebbe's approach to this. Why? Because many people wrote their problems to the Rebbe. And so we have a, a long record of many different instances where, there, where people wrote to the Rebbe about dreams that they were having, sometimes night terrors, sometimes very odd things that they saw. And we see responses from the Rebbe on this. So it's really interesting. On the one hand, if you look at number 20, this is one response from the Rebbe that really represents many, many responses. We don't know what the question was, but you can judge from the answer. The ruling of our Torah is clear. The dreams are false. Even if you saw in your dream that in a certain place is a certain amount of money. And the dream tells you take it. But half give to charity. And you found it in the place and that amount of money. The Rebbe says, You take all the money yourself. And Staka does not have an ownership claim on even one cent of this. When was the Rebbe writing this type of thing? It seems that this type of response, when people were writing about dreams they were very anxious about, very anxious about, and the Rebbe was saying, toss it out. And there are dozens, dozens of letters of the Rebbe and minus of the Rebbe that fit this theme. Basically, the Rebbe is paraphrasing the teaching that we saw in the Gemara, clear Gemara about Maeser Shani, just updating it to uh, the concept of tzedakah to make it a little more uh, understandable. But the bottom line is many of the answers of the Rebbe fall in, in, in this category. Sometimes there is a, a uh, recommendation to take on an additional mitzvah because as we know very often when people would write to the Rebbe about an issue that was going wrong in their life, the Rebbe would point to a mitzvah that this would be a, a good thing to do that could help the problem go away. So many of the answers also have that. However, despite the fact that there are many that fall into that category, there are some, I guess we'll call them the exceptions, that, uh, that are a little different. Let's look at a few examples. This one comes from volume 15. Of the Rebbe Zigris. About the person, his father, who is deceased, came to him in a dream and said something. We don't know what, but definitely something that was really scary. This person told his friend who wrote to the Rebbe about it. The Rebbe responds, He should ask forgiveness from, of his father in front of ten people. That uh, the issues of the mourning practices and customs of the year after passing, they were not all as they could have been. Okay? Here, taking the dream really seriously and saying something that should be done about it. Another example. Your wife is having dreams that are plaguing her. First of all, check the Ask your wife, did she not offend anyone? But in those days, whatever 
the subject of the letter was. And if there was offense to someone, then she should ask Mechila, take three random Jews and ask Mechila on behalf of those unknown people or unidentifiable people or undiscoverable people who she may have offended. Now, when you look at interesting here, taking the dream seriously, there's also something very concrete that can be done about it. It's not just, I had a very scary dream and now I'm just worried. There's actually a dream that has a message and there's something practical and concrete that the person could take. That may play a role in here. I'm not trying to claim that I have a full understanding of, 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 of the Rebbe's shitta when it comes to uh, the dreams, but it's a factor to think about. Um, one last one. Here, you had a person who basically wrote to the Rebbe that he had a dream where he was ascending from the world. He was angry at the world, at the injustice. He was angry at the injustice in the world, and he was ascending from the world. So um, the Rebbe responded to him as follows. We don't need messages through dreams. Because for that we have Torah. So because we have the Torah, we don't need God to communicate with us with dreams. It's unnecessary. However, when we fail to execute what Hashem wants in His Torah, so sometimes uh, there will be a hint at this in, uh, in, our, in our dream. Now, don't interpret your dream that this is about the injustice in the world at large. Why? You can't fix that. God couldn't show you a global message because that's not in your hand. On the other hand, your, the interpretation of your dream is obvious. You're being shown, you need to be upset that in your world, your individual life, which is totally in your uh, behavior, is unjust. Not in sync with God's justice. And you need to ascend, lis alois miyiridazu, to emerge from this descent. And how do you do this? Through chaye yoim yoimim b'maisabapoyal. So this was the Rebbe's interpretation of this dream. So I do think that you could sit here and I do think you could say something along the following: that if if there is a if there if a dream means something, it means something that is in your hands, something you can do, something practical. That's when I think we are more open to the idea of you know what. Maybe this dream came from a malach. Maybe I should take it seriously. If, however, it's handicapping a person, if it's, however, it's just causing fear, if it's doing something like that, that would never come from a malach. There, I think, we would, our default would be, throw it out, we're not going to take it seriously. Because let's not forget, the vast majority of our dreams, according to the Tzamaq Tzedek and according to Arach HaSholam, the vast majority of these dreams are nothing. So um, maybe you could look, come back to Yaakov's Ladder, the beginning of this week's Parsha. If it heads up, then maybe you could take the dream seriously. But if it takes you down, you're boy, then it's not something to take seriously.